it, it seems like uh, my experience has been that, that God uh, consistently takes us out of our comfort zone um, to develop us. And uh, this is, is kind of one of those times it's not right in my comfort zone. I don't do it often enough to feel very, <laughs> very accomplished at it at all. Excuse me. The other time that I'm probably out of my comfort zone is when my four-year-old grandson is here. That's, that's an experience in itself. I love the little boy. I praise God for my wife. She, she deals with it a lot better than me. Praise God. <clears throat> Jack Ramsey, the intense Hall of Fame coach in 1977, led the Portland Trailblazers to the only NBA title and later became beloved elder statesman of basketball, died Monday, uh, April 28th, after a 15-year battle with can cancer. He was 89. Maybe you remember that. It was quite a bit on the news back April 28th, 29th. We all love Jack Ramsey, uh, and we could never thank him enough for what he's done, said Bill Walton, the center on the 77 team. He's just a phenomenal example of what a full life uh, can possibly engulf. While Ramsey approach to life and uh, physical training was new age, his approach to basketball was old school. At a time when in the NBA was moving toward an emphasis on stars, such as finals opponent Julius Dr. J. Irving of the Philadelphia 76ers, Ramsey preached teamwork and discipline. The thing about Ram <coughs> excuse me, the thing about Jack was he was ahead of his time with the concept that you can have great individual players on your team, but if that talent is not connected, you don't have a chance. Johnny Davis, a member of the 1977 championship team, told the Oregonians Jason Quick, Jack developed that within us, nurtured it uh, within us, starting in training camp, and never wavered from, from that. It was always about the team, not the individual. Bob Gross, uh, starting small forward on the Blazers title team, said, the thing Jack did that was so incredible was he had everyone on the same page. Everybody knew what to expect. There were no surprises with him. He let you know before the game if he intended to play you, told you your role, and nobody could be upset. And that is exactly what was in the heart of Moses as he penned the words of Deuteronomy on the plains of Moab. Um, the book of Deuteronomy finds the Israelites on the plains of Moab just across the Jordan River from Jericho. This location is on the eastern edge of the Promised Land and to the north and east of Kadesh Barnea at the southern edge of the Promised Land. Kadesh Barnea is said to be approximately 150 miles or 11 days journey from Mount Sinai where God established his covenant with Israel. A journey that only required a couple weeks 
took Israel 38 years to be ready to enter the promised land. God told Moses that he will not enter the promised land. So Moses' final words is the book of Deuteronomy as God renews his covenant with Israel. And uh, Jesus Christ quoted from the book of Deuteronomy more than any book. Thank you so much, Kathy, for reading for us. And the verse that really uh, spoke to my heart in Deuteronomy chapter 39 was, Know therefore today, and take it to your heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. That is so, that is so concise and perfect. Know therefore today, and take it to your heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we are thankful for your word and your truth. We're thankful for the book of Deuteronomy. And Lord, I pray that, that the things that you've instilled within my heart, that I'd be able to articulate and communicate. Lord, I pray that no man would be seen, but that only Jesus Christ would be honored. And as to that end, I pray, may Jesus Christ be honored today. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Take it to your heart. Know therefore, he said, know therefore based on what he had already said, and what Kathy had uh, read for us, pointing out that God was the creator, God is in sovereign control, God is omnipotent, and God is love. God revealed himself by demonstrating signs and wonders so that God established their faith. God gave them a foundation for their faith based on the person of who he, who he was. And this was very effective. God taught them to fear him because just down the road, a few, few pages here, the children of Israel come to Moses and say, you, you go to God and let him tell you what we should do. Come to us and tell us and we'll do it. They had a faith. They feared God. Take it to your heart, he says. Know therefore today and take it to your heart. He had a foundation for them. He says, know therefore today, do it now and take it to your heart. This was to be a, a part of them, a part of their very person. And God insisted on, on mental discipline that, that these things become so in their mind that it, that it became a part of them. You know, um, Moses says to the Israelites just before this, just after this actually, he says um, that you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.7 says, and, and you shall uh, talk of these things when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. But the key to the whole thing, and the key to the, the way that the Israelites were to propagate or, 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 or proceed their faith was verse 6. He says, and, and these words which I command you shall be in your heart. They'll be in your heart. They'll, they'll be part of you. They have to be part of, your, part, part, part of your being, part of your very being, be in your heart. And that's how God called those Israelite people to teach their children and others of their love for him. The, the poem of old says, no written word nor spoken plea can teach young hearts what they should be. Nor all the books upon the shelves, but what the teachers are, 
themselves. Mom and dad, that's how we are going to affect our children. I talked with Lori Jane and we talk about children often do what parents do. So, know therefore today and take it to your heart. He goes on to say that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Israel soon would enter a land um, that the people burned the their sons and daughters to false gods. God said not to behave that way. He said he hates that. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 12, the scripture tells us that the, the uh, people of the land burned their very children. God called it an abominable thing that he hated uh, to false gods. And so God tells them, take this to your heart. I am the true God. Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is God. So we are to focus on the true God. Focus on the true God. And then as we focus, as they focus on the true God, uh, the scripture says, and you shall keep his statutes and commandments, which I am giving you today, that it may, get, may go well with you and with your children, and that you may live long in the land, which I'm giving you forever. And so God had planned a future for them, a great future for them. When God's principles are followed, uh, there is well-being, health, and healing. Some 400 years later, King David who loved God, prepared a great kingdom for his son Solomon. And with the wisdom that God had given Solomon, Solomon's kingdom became magnificent. When the, when the queen of Sheba had came and seen it, it says that she was breathless. And she said, the report that I heard in my land, in my land I did not believe, but it's true. She went on to say that that your uh, wisdom and glory is the half had not even been told me. And the scripture goes on to say that, that Solomon was the richest and wealthiest man of all the kings on the earth. Now, let me be quick to say this. I'm not saying that as we apply God's principles or follow God with our lives, that everything's going to go well, that everything will go smooth. God uses different experiences in each of our lives, each of us are different, to, to change us and mold us and make us more like Jesus Christ. When I was at my, my most probably sincere point, serving God with my all, came my darkest days in life. But after some years of discouragement, God restored me, and, I'm, and I so thank him for the opportunity to worship and to serve him once again. Three things... I need to take to my heart. First, the foundation of my faith, the word of God. The foundation of my faith is the word of God. And the word is directly from God. The scripture tells us that uh, no prophecy of the scripture is, is of any private or isolated inter interpretation, but the prophecy came in old time, not by the will of man, but uh, men were moved as the spirit of God moved, moved them. And then uh, the word of God is what we need to make us in right relationship with God. In 2 Timothy, great verses, Brother Warren and I, or Brother Leonard and I have talked about this, great verses, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 are as meaningful to me or about as uh, John 3.16. Uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word of God is what we need. The word of God is, is how, we, how we establish a relationship with God. I love the way John said it as he's drawing the book of John to a close. He says, says this, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of disciples. He's saying Jesus did a lot more. Truly, many other signs did Jesus in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And, and there he tells us how we can have eternal life, by believing in the Son of God, but by believing the things that Jesus said and did. You know, the, the, one of the greatest illustrations of, of the power of God's word and the Bible is America itself. Pilgrims came to America from Europe, just a small band of them who, who were willing to give their lives, uh, and most of them did. Landed here in 1620 at Plymouth Rock. About 150 years later when we, when, is when we would mark our uh, birthday as a nation, Independence Day, 1776. Now, I, I am not naive enough to believe that every signer of that Declaration of Independence was a Christian, but I believe the vast majority of, it, of them were, and it said that 28, 28 of the 56 original signers of the Declaration of Independence had seminary degrees. The Judeo-Christian ethic strongly influenced our nation and Christian thinking. George Washington said that I've had four bullet holes in my overcoat and two horses have been shot out from underneath me and I thank my God who saved me through it all. Another quote from uh, George Washington, um, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of the Almighty, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits and to humbly implore his protection and favor. That's what George Washington says. John Adams, the second president of the United States, and, and this is so powerful. It says so much about where we're at today. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. John Adams, the second president, said, unless we have a, a moral, religious people, this Constitution won't work. John Madi James Madison, the fourth president, said, before any man can be considered as a member of this of civil society, he must be considered a subject of the governor of the universe. Our founding forefathers were men of strong faith. Of course, the history books have re been rewritten, which wouldn't say that, but they were. They were men of faith and character, and that proceeded. Eighty-seven uh, years later, approximately, Abraham Lincoln stood up and said, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated 
the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether this nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Abraham Lincoln says, this dream that our fathers had, this dream that our forefathers of free people that could govern themselves, is it just a dream? Can it, can it last long at all? And by the grace of God, it did. In that conflict at that time, there were godly men on both, on both sides praying, begging God, not just that they would win, but for peace. Abraham Lincoln was one of them. It's told that Abraham Lincoln spent uh, all night in prayer, praying for our nation. And as time went on, America became the greatest nation on earth. We won World War II. But as I said before, our young people need to feel the weight of that because during World War II, we didn't know that we were gonna win. It wasn't a given. And it said that, that the tide began to change of power in that war when uh, in both Europe and America, there were great concerts of prayer. Men and women on their knees begging God, begging God for peace. Greatest nation on earth, America, the greatest nation on earth. And we are, and America is. And I believe that, and I'm proud to be an American. And you watch, whenever there's trouble throughout the world, wherever, wherever it is, who comes running with money and resources to care for people? America, the us, the United States of America. One of our late presidents said this, I've always believed that America is strongest and freest and happiest when it when it is truest to the wisdom of our founding fathers. Always remember that you are Americans and it is your birthright to dream great dreams to this sweet and blessed land, truly the greatest, freest, strongest nation on earth. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under and we see that to some degree today because we have, we have forgotten God as a nation, as a people. Uh, back in 1962, when our uh, all-wise Supreme Court uh, concluded that secular humanism was a religion within itself and that Bible reading and prayer would not be allowed in the public school. Since that time, we continue to decline and live in shame and the things that, that we should be ashamed of, we celebrate in parades on the street. You know, the scripture makes it clear that this, this happens from rejecting God, rejecting basically the, the, the display of God in um, creation itself. And the Bible goes on to declare there in Romans chapter one, that the end of this, God will give us over to the lust of our own hearts. He will give us over to degrading passions and finally give us over to a degrading mind. You know, uh, our foundation is strong. The word of God is strong. The book of Hebrews tells us that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. We have a strong foundation. We need to return to it. I thank God. I thank God for uh, the Gideon ministry, the people that we've had here, and, and they will give true stories about people ready to commit suicide, not just contemplating it, but with gun in hand. And, and before they squeeze the trigger, they see a Bible in a motel room and they pick it up and become gloriously saved, um, give their heart to God, big change in their life. They become productive people in society. I thank God that in 1982, I was involved in a ministry that we took a young man, we got him out of the county jail. We took him to um, a pastor, and the church had me fly to Texas with him to a ministry down there where uh, his only Bible reading in that program would be the Bible. That's all he could read. Two days, two times a day, they had chapel services, and he read the Bible. Within months, he came home ready to serve God, wanting to serve God. I thank God for Teresa. Teresa was a young mother I knew that um, was tired of her marriage that was ready to give up. She was planning to go see the lawyer. But before she left that day to see the lawyer, she picked up her Bible and she read in Proverbs chapter 14 where it says, a wise woman builds a house, but the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Teresa didn't go to the lawyer that day. I'm thankful for a friend of mine named Roy that had accepted Christ, but, uh, and he was excited about it, but he had a hard time telling others about it. And on that 28th day, Sunday the 28th, he read his Bible in the book of Proverbs where it says, the wicked flee when no man, no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. That young man came forward in his church service that morning and said, that he had accepted Christ, he was saved, he was going to heaven, and he wanted everybody to know that. And I thank God for the way God has worked in my life when years ago I felt God calling me to preach his word and to share his word, and I felt so inadequate, so unable. I, I had every excuse that Moses had when God wanted him to go speak. And so I just clung to the Bible and the book of Exodus where it says, who has made man's mouth? God speaking to Moses, because Moses says, I can't do it. God says, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the dumb or the deaf or the seeing of the blind? Have not I the Lord? He said, now go therefore, and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you should say. You know, the Bible is full of verses and encouragement that I cling to and, and things that, that just teach me every day. I have a, a friend, I just love the brother, um, and I delivered a package to him, and we talked for just a second. On the UPS route, talk is quick, but um, uh, he, we talked about life-threatening experience that him and I both had had. We would went to high school together, and um, I said, you know, you know, Brother Don, it's like we, we are of the thinking that, that things will be fine, and before we die, we're going to make things right with all our friends and family, and we're going to love our wife, and everything will be wonderful. And 
And he looked at me and he said, not so. That may not happen. And I said, it, it brings new light to what the Bible tells us when it says to boast not thyself of tomorrow because you don't know what today may bring. <coughs> the foundation of our faith, God has given us a foundation. It's the word of God and it stands today. Let me quickly hur hurry along here. The focus of our faith, I need to take to heart, take to my heart the focus of our faith. You know, in, in uh, the book of Exodus, as Moses is speaking with the Lord and the Lord's speaking out of the burning bush, the, um, uh, Moses, Moses says, you want me to go to these people and you want, to tell, want me to tell them that God, the God of your fathers, has sent me. What am I going to say when they said, what's his name? When they say, what's his name? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. And so in the Jewish culture, from that, that time on, I am was a sacred, a sacred saying that people didn't say. They didn't say, I am. That, that, if they were referring to themselves, they didn't say, I am. That was only to be used in reference to the I am, the great I am. And, and that was part of, part of Jewish culture. Fast forward about 1,400 years, and Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees. And Jesus says, if, if a man follows my word, he shall never taste of death. And the Pharisee says, what, what are you talking about? Abraham... He died. The prophets, they died. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And the Pharisees responded to him and said, you're not 50 years old. You're, are you telling us that you knew Abraham? And Jesus said this, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Christ knew exactly what he was saying, and he knew exactly what he was talking about. And those Pharisees that heard him, they knew exactly what he was saying. They picked up stones to kill him. Jesus Christ was the God-man. He is the God-man, God that came in the flesh for the express purpose of dying for our sins. God became man. Jesus died on the cross for us. And, and, and I want to illustrate something here by way of the book of uh, Matthew chapter 27. Let me read some verses here for you and explain. Now, this is when Jesus is before Pilate. And it says, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed, this is Matthew 27, 15, accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner who he wanted. At that time, they were holding notorious, a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, uh, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. Now let me stop right here and say this, that I've not been there, 
but from people that have, have said this, that where they were holding Barabbas was a good ways off. And he could not hear the voice of one man. He could not hear what one man was saying, namely Pilate. But he could hear the crowd. So think about that as we go through this. But the governor said to them, Pilate speaking, that's what Pilate said, which of the two of do you want me to release for you? Barabbas couldn't hear that. But he could hear the crowd, and they said, Barabbas, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, and they can't hear this, then what do you want me to do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They couldn't, Barabbas couldn't hear that. They all said, crucify him. And he said, and once again, Barabbas can't hear this. Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. So, think of this. The Roman soldiers come to get Barabbas, and he had to be, he had to be in shock because he heard it for himself. He heard what the people said. Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. He knew what would be next. He had to be in shock. But the Roman soldiers said to him, you're free to go. The holy prophet named Jesus has taken your place. That is where each one of you need to put ourselves. Each one of us need to, need to be named Barabbas. Each one of us deserves hell, death and hell. But the holy prophet named Jesus took our place. Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again for our sins that we might have eternal life. The Apostle Paul said, uh, and, this is, and this, is, this is what we say, and what he said, the Apostle Paul said, was, is the gospel message. For I delivered unto you what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried and rose again according to the Scripture. Jesus is our focus. Take it to your heart. Our foundation is the Word of God. Our focus is the Lord Jesus Christ. And our future, the future of my faith, abundant life and eternal life. God has good things for us. In, in Jeremiah chapter 29, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. That is a promise, not to me, that is a promise to the Jewish people, to Israel. Now, some, some Christians like to say that's God's promise to me, and that's really not. But I agree with what they're saying because this is the intent of God's heart. This is what is in God's heart. God has, a, has plans for each one who knows him, each one who's, who's been saved, each one that's asked him to save them. The Lord has plans for welfare and not for calamity to give us a future and a hope. Jesus said that um, Jesus says um, oh boy <laughs> a lot of verses going through my head uh, that um, Jesus said I am, I am the way the truth and the life and uh, that uh, I, I come to give them life and life more abundantly. He came to give us eternal life. The Christian faith, we have answers. And I appreciate listening to 
uh, Ravi Zacharias, a uh, very intelligent Christian apologist on the radio, he said that his testimony is that he became a, a believer on a bed of suicide. He had tried to kill himself. And at that point, someone brought a Bible to him, and he got saved right there. And so that transformed his life. He, 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 he was very well educated, and he said the thing that he likes about the Christian faith is that, and that only the Christian faith has the answers to the questions we all ask. Our origin, where did we come from? What is the meaning of life? What is our purpose in life? Morality, what is, what is right and wrong? And our destiny. The Christian faith has the answers to these things. We can be proud of what we believe. And, and we can stand up and be proud of what we believe. It's true and it's right. Living for Jesus brings one into great respect and honor. Um, the book of Proverbs tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin's a reproach to any people, or sin brings us to shame. And, and I think of, and it comes to my mind, the testimony of I, that I heard of a woman on the radio giving as she was younger, and she was starting to, to do drugs. And she lived in the Philadelphia area. And she said that, that she would go into town to, to get drugs, and she would see these prostitutes on the street corner, and, and this is what she would say. She would say, how sad those girls are. She, she said, how sad and how wrong. Don't let, don't let drugs get a hold of you. Just, just enjoy it on the weekends. Just party a little bit. That was her thinking. And then she said, exactly one year later, I was on, I was on the same street corner doing the same thing for the same reason. She said that that's her testimony and that she, she, you can't play with the devil's toys and, and get away. And she said that rehab could get her out of, get her off of drugs. She said that um, she's been in and out of rehab a dozen times. But she said only the power of God through our Lord Jesus Christ can keep you off of drugs. Take it to your heart, our future. God has a future for us, and he would like to bring us to honor. I'm like running out of time here. The other thing God has for us is heaven. Heaven. We can believe in heaven. Don't believe the world. They don't want to believe heaven. They don't want to know about heaven. Because if there's a literal heaven, there's a literal hell. And the Bible speaks of both. There is a heaven. A heaven where real, real people... Real, tangible people. Yeah, we'll have different bodies, but real people will do real things in a real place. Heaven is to be gained, and it's going to, it's going to be wonderful. The scripture tells us that, that eye is not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. We have a, we have a great future, a great future to look forward to. You know, um, we can trust God for that. And whatever, whatever it would cost us here on earth is well, well worth it, is well worth uh, heaven, just to go to heaven. This, this is something that the saints of old believed in and, and made a life out of. You remember the songs, When the Roll Was Called Up Yonder? We look at that as an old song. 
but they believed it. They said, hey, this may be tough. You know, it used to be men had to work hard all day long just to feed their family, not for any toys, not for any thrills, just to feed their family. But he had that hope of heaven and eternal life. So what he had to, what he had to pay was well worth it. The United States Calvary moving the Sioux, and I close with this, moving the Sioux Indians. Uh, Chief Setting Bull had something that the Calvary was not aware of. His main general named Crazy Horse. Crazy Horse got his name honestly. Crazy Horse was crazy. Uh, and he had his braves buy into one thought, a word called a term, Indian term, hukahe, hukahe. And this is, this is what Crazy Horse said to his, his men. He said, he says, men, uh, some of us aren't coming home tonight. Some of us will not come home tonight. He said, there's some things in life that are a lot bigger than you and I. What, what you are asked to do today is an opportunity, it's a privilege, and it's an honor. Give it your all. These, these Indian people were fighting for what they believed. They were fighting for their way of life. Hokahe means ride to the death. Ride to the death. And that's what a lot of them did. But they were fighting for what they believed. We have the word of God. We have the word of God that's been around for thousands of years that, that has proven itself, that has, that has stood the test of time, has proven itself, brings, brings people to honor. We can thank God for that. Whatever, whatever God would call me to do, I should be gladly willing to do and thank him for it. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I'm thankful for your word and your truth. Lord, I pray that I would take to heart the things that, that you told these, these people, Moses speaking to years ago, to take to heart. The, the foundation, your word, that I would focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and that I would rejoice in my future. What a great future. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your word and your truth. I pray that, that these things would sink down deep into our hearts. That, that this would not just be a time of uh, a, a message, but a time of examining our hearts and drawing us to yourself. Thank you so much, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship as we sing, I Then Shall Live.